I just think right now, women, especially in business, this is the year of women. I just know that. Life begins at 150 grand a year. Life gets better at 250, and life gets real good at 500. Nobody can tell me differently on it. When you start teaching something, I feel like that's when you start to master the actual art of it. You and I, when we publish a book, we can go toe-to-toe with any of the New York trade publishers, any of the big-time authors. We get to compete in that marketplace and then let the market decide whether our stuff is good. People forget sometimes as an entrepreneur, the whole damn point of entrepreneurship is to make money. And now here is The Win with your hostess, serial entrepreneur, marketeer, and chief sexy boss. Have you ever wanted to stop the nine to five grind and start your own company? Do you want to have more control of your income and your time? Then now is that moment to start and grow a successful business. As a female entrepreneur, I have succeeded. I have bit the dust. I have bounced back to growth and prosperity. But this would not have been possible without first taking the leap and owning my own business. But I didn't do it alone. I hired my first business coach 13 years ago. And now I help small businesses, solo practitioners, and professionals double their income and triple their time off. So let me help you too. My gift to you today is a free one-on-one strategy session. So go to coachwithheather.com, coachwithheather.com. And let me help you double your income and triple your time off. Hi, everyone. My name is Heather Havenwood, and I am super excited that you're here today. Uh, We got a really cool show to do. We have someone that is American who is an expat living in Poland, which, by the way, is just super fun. Um, I just love that, that you're not. (laughs) Tim, are you there? I am. Hi, Heather. Hey, so if you see us on video, you you'll see him here in a second, Tim Fargo, which, you know, again, there's a whole world there with the movie, but let's just have some fun and talk about what you're here for. You betcha. So Tim Fargo is an American entrepreneur and the CEO of automated social media posting service, socialjukebox.com. Okay, so he's also the author of Alphabet Success. Tim is best known for co-founding insurance fraud investigation company, Omega Insurance Service in 1996, and then became the second biggest insurance fraud investigation company in the United States. And it, of course, was required by, by First Advantage in 2003 for just a small sum of money of 20 mil. That's not bad. Not bad, Tim. Good luck. That's Thank you. Good. good job. All right. So that's the ultimate entrepreneur story. But of course, we're going to talk about today things that always don't go bump in the night, right? We always, in the bio, I was talking to him in the green room in our bio, we always <laughs> talk about how amazing we are, right? But we don't really talk about like things that go wrong because every entrepreneur has got a story. Every entrepreneur wants to win, but you don't always win first out of the gate. And if you've listened to my show for a long period of time, you know, I talk about this a lot. And anybody who says to me that they're, let's say their uh, hero in life is Mark Zuckerberg, I always push back. And the reason I say that, even though I use Facebook every single day in my life, is because it was the first out of the gate for him. And it was like, ta-da, from Harvard to success. And then people think that's real and that's not real. So we're going to talk about Tim today, about not only his business he's doing today, he gets to live all over the world in Poland. He's in Poland. He's comes back and forth between there and Florida, but, and then how he's creating a life that he loves, but also maybe not some 
great successes that's happened in his life. So welcome, welcome, Tim. Thank you, Heather. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. So uh, yeah, so I did ask you that in the green room. I'm like, yeah, your bias gray. So where are those failures? Um, <laughs> you're like all over the room, right? all over the room. <laughs> They're all over the way. So like like cadavers that. in a funeral home. Yeah, I mean, you know, you said something really interesting. You're like, yeah, I've, I failed like two, three, four, five times, whatever you said. And I, I it's a really good point. You know, as an entrepreneur, you know, how did you get started in entrepreneurship? Let's just start there. Um, I mean, I have the kind of somewhat typical story of cutting grass and shoveling snow and things like that. I grew up in Ohio. Um, and my dad was kind of a tough dollar. Um, he didn't like to give out money. So if I wanted any cash to do stuff, um, I, it was either groveling to him, which was not fun in my estimation or just go make it myself. And then I didn't have to answer any questions about how I spent it. I could just blow it on whatever I wanted. Um, and I think that sort of stayed with me. Um, and I did a lot of other, like, I mean, I had a little business, like picking up groceries for people like that were older that didn't want to go to the store. Oh. You know, I would like whatever I could do to make a couple bucks. Um, and I carried that forward when I was in college. I tutored finance and stats and econ and stuff like that, um, for other students. And that was kind of, it was just a service business, just hourly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, as an example, I started Back before the internet, back in 86, I tried to start a company called Career Express, um, and it was basically a resume matching service using a database because I had gone to the Career Center at my college at FAU in Florida and asked them about employers and stuff, and they were absolutely clueless. They didn't even have a good paper system, let alone kind of a database, so people were going to match like to employers, it would, it was good. The idea was to help employers save money on campus recruiting. So I'm going to stop you for just a second. Okay. So first of all, uh, FAU, you're talking about Florida state or which one are you talking about? Florida Atlantic and Boca. Yeah. Okay, great. All right. So I went, I went to university in Florida. So my sister, all right, a gator. The other part of the family went to, uh, you know, one, one in Gainesville. Let's not even talk about it. Um, <laughs> so again, big fan of that one. And then I went to a few universities on the, on the West Coast. I was the bopper. I just went to But um, I love Florida. But okay, I want to stop you for a second because I remember this. I remember going into the Counselor Center, the Career Center. Right. And I said I wanted to get an internship or something, right? And they gave me this binder with like, it was like four or five inches thick. And they said, just go, th- like, it's just this, go through that and try to find an internship. And some of them were dated, you know, like when it was submitted or something. And it was like eight months old or a year. And I'm like, well, how is this even up to date? Do you even know? Do you know which ones are available? And they're like, no, you'll just have to call all of them. And it was, you know, insane. It was like three or four inches thick. Sure. <laughs> this is crazy. And I don't know what they're doing now, but uh, so here you are in college and you saw that as an opportunity. What did you do? So I, I mean, I just created a database that was going to store like all the key criteria on the students and all the key criteria on the employers. Like, you know, where's the job, what skills are needed. And for the students, like, you know, what's their GPA, what's their area of interest, what did they study? Things like that. The problem that I completely underestimated is how difficult it is to do something new. Because back then, if you said, I'm going to put your resume in a database. I mean, for most people, this might like be difficult, but 
if you're old enough, there was a time when normal people didn't talk about databases. So that was like a real head scratcher. I mean, if you say the word donut, I mean, pretty much everybody at least has a picture in their mind what that looks like. Right. But I was, but I was trying to give people a service yeah. that a lot of people didn't particularly understand. Um, so while the idea was pretty good, I completely underestimated the amount of education the market was going to need about how this was going to work. Um, I thought everyone would understand the idea and it would just like take off. So, okay, so I want to stop you for a second. This is really a great lesson. I think that a lot of entrepreneurs deal with this. What they deal with is that they have this idea and they see it super clear. Like, like psh, duh, database, like match, hello. And then they try to get the whoever, system, company, to take it on and that they don't see it because entrepreneurs, one of the things entrepreneurs have is they see things other people don't see. Like we didn't know we wanted a Facebook. Come on. You know what I mean? We didn't, we didn't know we wanted an iPad. We didn't know we want, we even wanted an iPhone, but Steve Jobs saw something that we didn't know we needed or wanted right? Way beyond it was even created. So I think that's the beauty part. And you're, you dealt with exactly the things so many entrepreneurs bump up against, and they usually just kind of stop right there, aka Chia Pet. I mean, we didn't know we wanted a Chia Pet, but supposedly billions of people do. So I think it's a great example. How did you overcome that in that particular situation? Or did you just say, hey, this is kind of crazy? I just gave up because, I mean, I just didn't have the funding to do it. And I didn't really, I mean, this is kind of pre, I mean, entrepreneurship wasn't nearly as big a thing back in the 80s. You were just, um, you were just like, you're a weird dude doing this versus like, go for you. You're an entrepreneur. Yeah, it was a little, it was a little peculiar um, to be, and I, and I mean, I did it with my own money. I didn't borrow for, like from anyone. I had just saved a lot of money from tutoring. Um, but what I did learn, I mean, and at least for me, and I mean, you know, God bless Zuckerberg. I mean, he's got a ton of money, but the, what I very often tell people when they're asking me about being an entrepreneur is right. that one of the best things you can do is dispense with the idea that you're going to be, come up with this amazing genius idea because so often, I mean, if you take someone like Branson, I mean, Branson's not famous for doing anything particularly new. He's, he's, he's famous for bringing humanizing and bringing fun customer service into existing markets and out executing his competitors. So he's not really doing anything new most of the time, but he's doing a new version of something that already exists. So there's, and that saves an, amazing amount of time and effort on the part of the person because you know you're not you know when you fail as an entrepreneur usually you're failing in maybe one area like i i think my idea was awesome but i underestimated the marketing challenge right so the idea wasn't bad but i didn't have the capital to fund through the education of the marketplace right right so for people that are trying to get something done, I mean, if, yeah, if you have this idea and you want to share it with the world, well, that's a big place, you know, and that's a lot of people who, to try to tell your story to. Mm-hmm. But if you have a very niche related thing and you want to kind of get your chops wet on something smaller, right. usually going into something existing and outperforming somebody who's a bit of a klutz, which is totally what I did with Omega. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Um, is the story of that business. So, and Omega, let's let's get some context. Omega is what again? So people know. 
Um, it was a bodily injury, bodily injury surveillance company. So we did like workers' comp and disability claims, and we had investigators all over the U.S. But when I got into that, so to kind of like to make sure if the guy who said he's in the kitchen who slipped and fell and hurt himself was actually like hurting him, is that kind of what you're doing? You're totally, watching? totally. Yeah, I. Way, I have to say, I'm now in the right now in the middle of a personal injury case, and have been for almost three years. <laughs> so, I, I, I feel like they're doing stuff like that already on me. Sort of oh, me. I'm sure. Oh yeah, they're watching everything I do on Facebook and Instagram, and my lawyers have already said like, you posted this, and now they're questioning. I'm like, what? It's like four years ago, you know. So I, anyway, I understand that business because I'm dealing with that right now. Side. Yeah. So. Getting into that business, I mean, what I found is great business opportunity and a lot of people, a little bit like the book, The E-Myth, there's a lot of people in investigations that are investigators and they have a competency to run an agency that maybe gets up to like 10 people. But once it's not, it's a group of people that won't all fit in the same room, um, then they start to lose their ability because they don't know how to set up an infrastructure. They don't know how to set up processes and things like that. Um, so it goes back to the example of, you know, I just brought business acumen to a, you know, a fairly straightforward business. Um, and by doing that, we gave people kind of a one-stop shop. It took a while to get a nationwide footprint, but, um, I mean, our process was a big thing. Like you couldn't even schedule a case until you knew where the subject was. And I mean, we did a lot of little things like that, that for whatever reason, I mean, the average investigative firm didn't do, um, right. but it allowed us to get better results than the average. And you as a result. You the investigation process such that the, probably the insurance companies could move things forward faster. Is that correct? Something like that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and giving them the technology so that like we were the first one to have their case results online so they could log into their account. They didn't have to call anybody. They could track the progress of their case online. Let me ask you a question. Do you consider yourself an entrepreneur, Tim? Yeah. You do? Okay. Why? Because I hear you're more of a systems guy. Do you consider yourself a systems guy or an entrepreneur? What part of the entrepreneur process do you love? Um, I, th I mean, I think ultimately you're always solving a problem. And I think the idea of bringing a systems approach and a kind of a quality approach to any business is how, how you out-execute your competition. Um, you know, inspiration, motivation, all that stuff's great. Right. But you need to have a process that can replicate a consistent result for the client. And if you don't have that, then you're just kind of swinging in the wind. Right. So, so who taught you all this? Did you learn this in uh, school? Um, some of it, sure. Yeah, okay, got it, cool. All right, so tell me more about Social Jukebox. Um, automated posting to Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Um, basically, for people that have evergreen content, we offer them an opportunity to put that content out without constantly having to go refresh a schedule and things like that. You set up your schedule and your databases of evergreen content and it posts automatically. And actually this business was me solving a problem for myself because I was trying to sell alphabet success back in 2013. And I kept having to put all these posts out on social media because like a lot of authors, I found out when you come out with a book, most people don't really care because a lot of people come out with books. Right. Um, yeah. and podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was trying to build an audience. And to me, this scheduling was like monkey work 
because the person on the receiving end on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, they don't care how your post got there. No, it just matters if it, yeah, is it is it relevant to them? Right. Right. So um, I got sick of it. I contacted the whole, the former head of IT for Omega, the company I had sold, and said, "Hey, can you you know build a platform for me to you know take care of this problem?" Because I I didn't find anything in the marketplace that I really liked. And so he built something and initially it was, I mean, it was just for me. So it had an interface that kind of only a mother could love, but we've made some improvements since then. <laughs> only a mother could love. That's funny. <laughs> okay, great. So what year was that started? Um, we got the first version that I was using up in 2014. Yeah. And then we, were, we had a free version and we got several thousand people that signed up for that. And then in 2015, we put up a payment gateway. And I mean, because that's the ultimate challenge. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, we have this many users. Like, that's great. Will any of them pay you? Um, so we put up a payment gateway. We got about 550 users in the first week. And then we've continued to build and we've got about 1,600 users now. So obviously, so here's the thing. And we're talking a lot about business and systems and structures. And that's great. And I know that you love that. But probably people are kind of like, okay, great. But how is this going to help me listening, right? How, what can you say to people who are like, they're interested in building something, they don't know how to do it, or they are not tech people, or how do they get their, their business out in the marketplace? I mean, that's really when people are listening to stuff. How can they take from your situation or from your experience, what can they do? Right. Well, I mean, the easiest way to understand a systems process is to think about the old Big Mac commercial. Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun, because that is always a Big Mac. And everything you do in any business usually involves having a set series of things that come together. So if you have an idea, I mean, to me, it's. I think you should understand the market. Um, if you know you're potential opportunity. I mean, just because you think it'd be fun doesn't necessarily mean you'll be good at it. So if you have some experience and you understand it, that helps. Um, and then the second piece is understanding how, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many different pieces, but I think one of the ideas behind the systems piece and having this idea of how you're going to bring the pieces together is kind of being prepared for catastrophic success. Because if you have an idea that people really like and you can't deliver on it, you will have the worst of all failures, which is everyone loves your idea, but you couldn't do anything about it. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I, okay, got it. So the interview with Heather and Tim is like, let's make sure you prepare for a failure. Is that what I heard? I'm saying make sure that you're prepared for, you know, if you have, let's, you know, you, you set up a business, right? And like right. everyone, you know, you're like a surfer waiting for a wave, right? Okay, so right. if this giant wave comes, you want to be ready for that giant wave. You don't want to be kind of dumbstruck with, well, how am I going to process all these orders? How am I going to make this happen? Um, okay. okay. So you're talking about the wave of success and making sure that you have the systems and structures set up so that you can move people through the man. I call it the little system, little game board there. Is that what you're saying? Well, I, yeah, I think there's that. And then this, the other piece is just being able to make sure that, you know, Heather gets the same experience as Pam gets the same experience as David gets the same experience as, you know, John, et cetera. So that, you know, when people come to your business, you know, it's not depending on the direction of the wind, the quality of the service or product they get, it should be consistent at all times. 
And that's the benefit of having a pretty good idea how you're going to construct things when people come in. Got it. Okay, that's clear. All right, you're definitely a systems guy. Do you do consulting for system systemization stuff? No, I'm I'm happily just knocking around with social jukebox. That's okay. my uh, that's my thing. Okay, good. Well, where can they find your book? Um, my book is on Amazon. Just look up Alphabet Success, um, yes. and it's a story of just some basic lessons. Um, the the interesting thing about my book, I think, is very many people said, "Well, I know all the things in that book," and I said, "Yeah, but do you do all of them?" Um, because that's typically where people fall apart. Like just something as simple as not sending a thank you to people that buy something from you. Um, you know what's interesting about the thank you? I'm a big person on thank you, especially with being a podcaster and I've been on so many shows and I send thank you cards and I send uh, also to people sometimes who are my guests, but more that when I'm a guest. You know that I've sent, I don't know how many I've sent. Well, at least 200 because I've gone through t- two of my thank you card personalization boxes or each hundred. Sure. I've not gotten one person to like send me like a, Hey, got your card. Thanks. Nothing. And it's a snail mail. So I think it's an interest. I mean, honestly, I'm like old school. Like I write out a thank you and like send it to them. That's what I advocate. Sure. Right. And not one, not one, not one. Did I ever get like a, Hey, got your thank you card. That was cool or something. You know, like they even got it. <laughs> I was like, do you ever, does anyone go to their mailbox? I don't know. <laughs> but I, I actually think that it does resonate with people. Cause I do think snail mail is, is the new, is the new unique thing because nobody does it anymore. People right. go, well, I sent an email. I sent them right. a tweet. Right. No, I get that. And so I, I think it's, but I think it's an interesting, I mean, I continue to do it, but I do think it's interesting, right? Talk about sure. this is just data. No one's said anything. I've never gotten any kind of communication, Facebook, Messenger, anything. Hey, I got your message or I got your note or that was pretty or I don't, whatever. I just think it's an interesting that no one's ever acknowledged it, but we acknowledge emails all the time. So if I sense them, and I usually do this as well, just because it's a habit. Hey, thank you so much for having me on your show. That was really awesome. They'll, I'll get like a response back, you know, something, Hey, sure. No problem. Whatever. And they will respond to that, but they won't respond to just old school. You know, I just think it's interesting. And I've, and a lot of people, my guests or people that have been on their shows, on my guests, on their shows, they're, all different walks of life, all different ages, sure. everything. So I think it's interesting, but I do believe it's still hugely um, important. I just had one of my guests actually send me his book. And because of that, he sent me his physical book. I've done a video. I've done a review on the book. I posted it all over my social media, you know, because he sent me it and he signed it and I've checked it out and I've read part of it and I'm, I'm posting it everywhere because I think that's a rep- like the I'm saying that wrong. Reciprocal. I'm saying that wrong. But reciprocity. It's that, yeah, reciprocity. It's just that karma. And I think when you're dealing with that, when you talk about systems and structures and Richard Branson and the the ability for him being so different because of his customer service, it's because we like to feel like we matter, right? In businesses versus just doing business with a business, we're doing business with a person. You know. Absolutely. Well, and I, and I think that's the risk of, I mean, how many websites do you go to where there's not a single photograph of a founder, of a team member? And I, I mean, look, you, if you have a great product, I mean, I, I suppose it'll fly. But I think in the end, to your point, very many people want the feeling that 
you know, oh, this person that I'm seeing is the person who I'm going to do business with. Right. Right. You know, I mean, that matters. Yeah. And we talked about the green room and if you're bringing it up that uh, when you're working with your company for, you know, you're, you're part of customer service. And I, I loved that because honestly, there's books I've read, Jack Welsh and others that the number one place I think a CEO and um, a, a top manager needs to have their pulse on is the customer service because the A, you find out what's working, not working, what's broken. You find sure. out what people are really wanting, right? You find out what's missing that you could actually create and, and develop to give a new service, right? That is really the pulse. And yet we look at customer service and even teachers, you know, in the world of teachers and education as the lowest paying positions in many cases. In reality, they're the ones that are most important. Well, I mean, I had, I had an experience um, with American Express, which just blew me away because I was a platinum card holder and I had called to arrange some travel. And what happened is I waited 22 minutes and then I just finally said, forget it. And I called to cancel the card and, you know, and I said, Hey, you know, I want to do this. Let me get my money back. Um, because it, it had just renewed. Right. And it's four fifty. Yeah. So I thought, well, you know, I'd like my money back. If I'm, if, if you guys can't do what you say you're going to do, nobody tried to talk me out of it. It took me to even get my refund. It took me five calls and, this, you know, the, the issue here, and I'm not really, I'm not really meaning to dump on them, but I mean, it's a true story and it would have all been solved if the person who received the first call had said, Mr. Fargo, how can I make this right? They're not right. They're not trying to do that. And, and this is a really good interesting. So American Express is known for their customer service in that space. They have been for years. They're probably not now. I don't know. But when I had a card with them, it was always like, what, how can we, that's their policy. Usually it's like the customer's right. That's why merchants don't like them. <laughs> right. <laughs> because someone can call up and go, yeah, that $300 bill on the bar last night. Yeah. That's not mine. I don't remember it. You know what I mean? Like no problem. Sure. So, uh, but that, cause that's, that's how they got started. I remember all those commercials, in American Express, it was all about the customer, the customer, the customer, the customer, you're going to pay this ridiculous fee and all these other fees because we are going to serve you. And so the fact that you're having that experience, they're not mirror matching what they said they were going to do, but you're right. They're not trained to say, how can we make this right? They're just trained to say, okay, no problem. Well, and, and there was a secondary piece of it that was, um, I remember one of the people during one of these five calls said something like, well, if that promise was made, it was probably somebody in that, this, like this other department. And I'm thinking, why are you telling me that? You know what I mean? Because to me, it, it goes to your exact point of when you have all this like layers, because the customer doesn't care. Your customer, if you're starting a business out there, people, I mean, nobody wants to know about different departments in your company. They want to know how you're going to solve their problem. Right. That's the only thing right. the customer cares about. So, right. Um, right. So that love the fact that that's what you're doing is you're keeping your, your finger on the pulse with customer service at your company at social jukebox.com. I'm saying that right. Social J U K E box.com. And what just tell us about your prices and the range of the different prices that you guys have. Um, we start our starting product, which works for most people um, is the advanced plan. And that costs 1999 a month. Or you can buy a subscription for $199.90 for a year, which gives you effectively two months for free. Okay. Um, and 
that allows you to connect up to three ac accounts. So, you know, if you have a Twitter account, Facebook account, LinkedIn account, you can connect all three. It doesn't matter how many company pages you have for LinkedIn or Facebook. Um, those still just count as one account um, in our plan. So most people come in on that unless they want a bit more. And then like you go up to the pro plan, which is $29.99. Um, and that gives you up to 10 accounts um, and a little bit more space for data. Um, and then there's a business plan and then there's an ultimate plan for people that just want kind of unlimited play space. Um, so there's the three different plans uh, or the four, four different plans rather. And, um, but I encourage people, frankly, to start out with, you know, just the, the basic one and just get a taste for it because um, we got great retention on our clients. So I think most people that start out with it tend to stick around. Love it. That's awesome. Well, go check it out at socialjukebox.com. Again, we're talking to Tim Fargo and his book as well. What's the name of your book again on Amazon? Alphabet Success. Alphabet Success. All right, everyone, this is Heather Havenwin. Check out Tim at socialjukebox.com. Hey, it's Heather. Is your digestion feeling off? Are you often hungry even though you're eating enough and taking supplements? Are you struggling to burn off that last bit of stubborn fat that will not go away no matter how hard you diet or exercise? I guess I'm talking about myself here. See, it might be your gut. It was mine. That's why I am so excited to announce that P3OM, the Navy SEAL of probiotics, is now available at energywithheather.com. Look, Tens of thousands of real people, including myself, has used P3OM to manage constipation, bloating, gas, acid reflux, abdominal pain, and much more. Look, as you'll learn when you go to energywithheather.com, P3OM uses unique and patent strand that has been proven in lab tests to deliver the right bacteria to your gut. So your body has what it needs to let go of all that fat. So look, what are you waiting for? Go to energywithheather.com. That's energywithheather.com. Thank you for listening to The Win with Heather Havenwood. Interested in coaching with Heather? Go to heatherhavenwood.com and sign up for a business discovery consultation. Here is your free gift for listening. Get three audio chapters of Heather's book, Sexy Boss, How Women Empowerment is Changing the Rulebook, when you text the word sexy to 7200. Again, text the word sexy, that is S-E-X-Y, to 7200, and receive your three audiobook chapters. Number is good only in North America. This is a sexy boss rap. This podcast is a copyright of Havenwood Worldwide, LLC.